This is your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. So much to talk about today. I'll be joined in just a little bit by Chip Scoggins, Star Tribune columnist. We are going to talk a lot about Gophers men's basketball, the future of that program, who is going to coach next season, and what needs to change regardless of who is in charge of that program. But first, what did I miss Well, you guys, we've talked a lot about the negative of the Timberwolves on this podcast already since it started. The inaugural episode of this show was February 1st. Since the inception of the show, the Wolves had gone 2-15 and until Thursday night. Now, just lest you think I was some sort of jinx or something, uh, they were 5-14 and before that. Not like they were lighting the world on fire, but they were 2-15 and Uh, in their last 17 games since this podcast started until Thursday, second half of the season. We talked about this on Thursday's show with Chris Hine. Could they could they change the narrative of their season? Could they find some positive momentum, do some things right, start to see some progress from Carl Anthony Towns, from Anthony Edwards, from you know, some of these other young guys? Well, just one game, um, but wow. 30-point victory over New Orleans on Thursday, 135-105. to I'm not sure what the better sign is, the 135 or the 105, because I think all along we thought the offense would get there under new head coach Chris Finch. What wasn't clear was whether they were going to be able to find any kind of defensive consistency. The defense had looked really bad. The effort level had looked bad, particularly in Finch's first five games as coach before the break. Well, it was a night when everything kind of went right, right? They, they made almost 50% of their three-pointers on 40 attempts. Jaden McDaniels had 20 points. Jalen Noel poured it in. He had a 20, like 27, something like that, off the bench. Um, so, you know, one of those nights where everything seems to be going right, so we don't want to draw too many conclusions from it, but certainly better than it had been uh, by, by a mile. It's a team that didn't really resemble the one we were used to seeing in, in the last, you know, in the, in the last six, seven weeks and really the whole season here. They, you know, they, 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 they moved the ball in the way that they wanted, they wanted to. Anthony Edwards took some of the messaging, I think, from Finch, was driving the ball more instead of settling for jump shots, and he seemed genuinely happy finally after the game. Let's, let's see, since we played so many negative sound bites from this team this year, let's play a, a positive quote from Anthony Edwards after that game. Damn, we got to win. We were having fun. We're trying to get used to it for real. I feel like like I'm trying to get used to it. So whatever we did this game, we need to grow and build on that. And again, good to be happy right now, right? They deserve to be happy to win a game. But I'll be most curious to see how much this is sustainable, right? Because now, you know, they just played New Orleans. New Orleans is not a good team. They're, they're certainly better than the Wolves. They've won 15 games this year. You know, they've, they're basically twice as many wins as the Wolves. But now the Wolves' next five games, two against Portland, both home games here, then the, at the Lakers, and then two at the Phoenix Suns. Uh, the Trail Blazers games and the Suns games are back-to-back. So they're coming fast and furious now. A stretch of you know, five games in seven days, a couple sets of back-to-backs. Can they sustain that energy? Can they sustain that, that defensive intensity? Can they keep making shots and moving the ball and you know, kind of keep that positive momentum going from that first game of the, of the second half of this season? Before we get to Chip Scoggins, too, I, I want to point you guys to a couple things that caught my eye twins-wise. Lavelle E. Neal III, you know, longtime Twins writer, now columnist, wrote um, 
wrote a piece in uh, in today's paper, Friday, StarTribune.com, about you know kind of a, a little observations of different things he saw down in Florida, and whenever Lavelle, you know has a bunch of things to say about the twins. We should listen because he's, he's, he knows, he knows that team, um, you know, back and front. I guess he's, he's trying to, to say, don't panic about Miguel Sano. Um, he's got time to figure out his swing. It's been a tough start to the spring for, for Miguel though. He's saying Miguel, I think right now is hitting 143, no homers, no walks, seven strikeouts. That's what, that's what he enters Friday. Those are his stats entering Friday. He says he's in Lavelle's estimation. Snow is in shape, but you know, basically, this is a guy who two of the last three years hit 199 and 204. Um, and I know he he walks a decent amount to offset that, but you know, it's, there's been two disappointing seasons out of the last three. I think 2019, part of the Bomba squad, that that was his you know probably his best year overall in the majors. Had that 923 OPS, career high 34 home runs, but we're still waiting by and large, for him to emerge if he's going to emerge in, as a consistent threat. And it's been, you know, so long. It's been 20, 2015 was his debut, you guys. This is his seventh season. Um, he's never had more than 495 plate appearances, kind of showing you the injuries, the ineffectiveness, kind of how back and forth he's been. This is a long time to wait. Um, is he just kind of what he's going to be right now? Are, are we are we waiting for something that's not going to happen? I, I don't know. I mean, he's... He's twenty. He's twenty-seven. He'll be twenty-eight in two months. Uh, you know, this is a guy who should be entering the prime of his career. If he's not figuring this out right now, uh, when is he going to figure it out? The other thing I want to mention, since Sano and Byron Buxton often get mentioned in tandem, especially when they were coming up as prospects, Buxton. I couldn't believe it the other day when I saw the news that he had basically cracked his tooth, needs a root canal, uh, eating food. I think it was a steak, maybe. So he's going to miss a little bit of time. Just reminded me of Patrick Royce being on Monday show saying he's not worried about the Byron Buxton injury bug. Uh, well, you know, two two three days later, Buxton you know has to miss a little bit of camp anyway with the uh, with the cracked tooth and the, the tooth issue. Small problem. He'll be back soon, but you know nonetheless, it, it speaks to again the the worry you have with Buxton. It's that he's something always seems to happen that keeps him off the field. He hasn't been able to be a consistent performer either when he's on the field absolute game changer right uh he's he's you know he's so dynamic in the field he changes things you know at the plate too he can run he can do all these things but you know if if he can't be out there if he can't stay on the field you know that's that's a that's a problem um so we're gonna see you know we're gonna see about these two guys again this year we've been waiting on both of them for you know what seems like a really long time buxton made his debut in 2015 as well you know, still hasn't really emerged as that consistent threat, at least health-wise. So, you know, let's see. Let's see what happens this year. I've got more promise for Buxton than I do for Sano. But both of these guys, it feels like it's been a long time. Is this the year that they are consistent performers? Or is this the year we just decide they kind of are what they are and something is always going to happen to Buxton and Sano is never going to completely figure this out? I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Excited to be joined right now by Chip Scoggins, Star Tribune columnist. Uh, he's been on Richard Patino Watch for a little while here, I think, um, and just kind of waiting to see what happens with this story 
as uh, as the you know as Friday continues. But uh, you know, as of recording this segment, early Friday morning, Richard Pitino is still the head coach of the Minnesota Gophers basketball team. So what I want to get into with Chip today is, you know, I don't want to speculate too heavy, but I do want to get into the notion of if if they do move on from Pitino, which is it, it, all indications from what we've heard is that is. If you had to, if you had to bet on one thing, that's probably the thing you're betting on is that they are going to make a change at head coach, even with the even with the buyout, even with you know the uncertainty that that brings. If if they do make a change, who who might we see in in charge, and what does that person have to do next season to succeed at Minnesota? So let, let's start. Let's kind of start there, Chip. Um, maybe you can tell me what you what you know as of Friday morning and kind of as you've talked to people around this program or who observe this program, what, uh, what do they see with, uh, you know, with, with the potential for it and also kind of the steps moving forward? Yeah, I think right now we're just in holding pattern. Um, I didn't think that Mark Cole would make a dis- or announce a decision or talk to Richard last night after the game. Typically what happens is the AD meets with the coach. If there is going to be a, a firing the next day. And so I think it's reasonable to think that Cole, because there is so much speculation about Patino's job. He's been asked about it so many times. Um, I don't think it's something you would delay. I think it's something you would get to first thing Friday morning. So my guess is those two will meet Friday morning and I do anticipate they'll make a change. I know Cole really likes Patino as a person. I've had a number of conversations with him over the years. He really respects him and likes him in a buyout at a time during a pandemic when finances are tough over there, 1.75 million. But after eight years, I think uh, there's just a a sense of it. It's time to move on and try something different. Um, It would be hard to sell to a fan base right now that you're going to stay put and stay the course. They're going to, I assume they're going to have fans back in the, in the barn next year. And so if you were not to make a change, I think you run the risk of really, um, losing some season ticket holders if, if there is not a change. So uh, I, I think we will see a change as far as what this program needs, because there hasn't been a real high level of success with this program historically. Got to go back to Clem to find anything like that's, yeah. you know, even beyond just one play, one NCAA tournament win. And the times that they did, they took a banner down. Um, and so I talked to some, some people who are familiar with the, uh, program, I would say coaches um, who know this state, um, that program, this conference about this job. And I had a number of people tell me, and I, I don't think it's, I think it's probably pretty obvious that this, if you're ranking big Ted jobs, this is not in the top half. I mean, it's, it's just not. And so I think there are inherent benefits of this job in terms of um, the talent base in this state, Minnesota's become a basketball state. I mean, it's far better than it was even 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And so there's a really deep recruiting uh, base here. Um, you got a new facility. I'll tell you, people who are outside observers think the barn is a Williams Arena is a detriment, not a um, not a plus because of its age and just. Uh, I don't think recruits are going to be enamored with the history of Williams Arena. No, that's fair. Um, but in terms of where they go and what they do, they need a coach who's going to connect better with the high school uh, coaches, recruits, and AAU programs. Um, 
I'll, I'll tell you, Patino might be my favorite coach I've covered in 21 years here in terms of just a human interaction. Yeah, person. he's great. He's a, he's a great he's, guy. He's an engaging quote. He's an yeah. interesting person. He will, you yeah. know, he will. He's accessible. Yeah. He, he doesn't take himself too seriously. He's self-deprecating. He understands it. He gives you insight. I, I thoroughly enjoyed covering him. But for whatever reason, Mike, it just did not click with the coaches in this state and the recruits. And not to say he, he didn't get any. He got Daniel Tour and Mir Coffee. And so it's, there's this perception he gets none. Well, that's not true. But um, there's just been enough recruiting misses and mistakes. And there's just not – when you're losing Dawson Garcia to Marquette. And we need you're not going to get Jalen Suggs and Trey and Tyus Jones and Gary Trenton Jr. and probably Chet Holmgren to come to this program right now. You need long-term history of success before uh, players are gonna, or recruits are going to consider that. But that next tier, you know, the Dawson Garcias, mm-hmm. um, Ben Carlson's, McKinley Wright, who they didn't take. They took Isaiah Washington over him. That, that was an all-timer. Um, those are the athletes. That, those are the players I think if you can get consistently. And the roster doesn't have to be – 100% Minnesotans. It can, it can get it from, but, but when you, when you miss on a Dawson Garcia, it, it, it's, it's almost like it's magnified. Um, so I think uh, recruiting will be a huge step. And I think if, you know, when we hear from Mark Cole, I think that'll be something he talks about. And, and more than that, just consistency. I mean, yeah. it flows with, with Patino's program. And some of that was, you know, injuries you can't control and guys leaving early and guys getting in trouble and getting kicked off. But, that's college yeah. basketball, though, Chip. I mean, that's everybody. That, that, you know what? 2021 college basketball with the transfer portal, your roster is going to look like it's in flux from year to year to, to a degree. Um, but it just seemed like his program never had the depth of talent because when they had an injury or, or a loss or whatever, personnel loss, things just went down the tube at the end of the season. So I think there, you just need to find somebody that can sustain more consistency in this program. Is that possible? I mean, we've talked about, like you said at the outset, it's it's been a while since anybody has established that they've tried. You know, they, when they fired, yeah. you know, fired Clem, but you know, the Dan Munson came in. You know, then they had Tubby Smith after that. Now it's been mm-hmm. you know Richard Patino since then. Is it <clears throat> is it that this not that it's not possible, but you know, different people have tried different kind of formulas here, and nothing is really <clears throat> stuck. At least at the building a, a winner that you would say, okay, that's, that's a program that's, you know, that's got a shot to go to the sweet 16 every year, kind of the Wisconsin level, as opposed yeah. to, Hey, they might go to the tournament every two or three years. Well, I will say there's, there's two things that are different now than um, that. I don't know. You can say, well, historically they haven't won here. So things have changed. One basketball in the state is much better than when Dan Munson was here. It just, it's a different product. I mean, yep. you got more uh, division one, big 10 caliber players here. So that just from Dan Munson, that's different Two, They have a brand new practice facility. That was a major, major uh, detriment up until Patino and even part of Patino until they got it. I mean, that athletes village having access to a, um, you know, your own facility where you're not sharing Williams arena and different things and you can't get in there to practice. Uh, that's a major upgrade that will help you in recruiting. So, I think I think they've the program is in a better spot than what we've seen traditionally, um, and so I think there is potential here to build more consistency and, and you know be a program that can 
reasonably expect to be in the NCAA tournament more than occasionally. You know, what Patino's been there, what, a couple times. Um, and so yeah. I don't think it's unrealistic to think that with the kind of the infrastructure that the program has now, that you should set the bar higher. Patino's team shot a lot of three-pointers this year and didn't make a lot of three-pointers, and that was even the story in the – you know, the last game Thursday, they, they, they played hard. Uh, they almost beat Ohio state. Ohio state's kind of slumping right now, but still a, a, a team that's going to make the NCAA tournament field. You know, they only lose 79, 75. They, they're right in into the end, but eight of 32 from three point range. Yeah. And my, you know, I keep my, my, my joke on Twitter. was that, you know, they, if they went out, at least they went out doing something they love settling for <laughs> and missing three pointers. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. what, what, you know, I guess, that's a, a long winded way to set up how it felt like the style that he eventually wanted to play didn't match the recruiting. Is that more a, a function of systems of not quite, not quite wanting to know what you want to do? And is that something a new coach could do better? Well, I would say that is the hallmark of his entire regime here. Eight years. I went back <clears throat> through his eight seasons and I looked at where they ranked in the NCA nationally in both just overall field goal percentage shooting and then three point uh, uh, shooting percentage. And in those eight years, only one time, one year, did they finish in the top 100 nationally. The other seven years, they were in the 200s and 300s. So they were not just this year, but throughout his time, a really poor shooting team. And at a time, particularly three point shooting, I mean, this year they're 330th or whatever in nationally at a time where the three-point shooting has never been more important at all levels of basketball. So he just did not, for lack of a better word, he just didn't find enough shooting in recruiting. Um, you have to find shooters. And so I think that will be – now, is that offensive system that didn't put players in position to, um, you know, shoot at a high level, at a high percentage? Was it not having enough depth in your roster so when – you had injuries or whatever guys that came in were just not good shooters. Um, or was it you just, when you were in recruiting, you didn't value that enough in terms of maybe you looked at something else. Um, I think it's probably a combination of all those things. So I, I think when you look back at it, I mean, it's hard to, when you're finishing 250 or 300 or 310 nationally in shooting and overall shooting and three point shooting, you can't win consistently that way. It's, just, it's too difficult. And so I think that'll be something the next coach will have to address in recruiting and with his field and with his offensive systems. As you think about next steps, uh, two things come to mind. One, the search for Patino, which was undertaken by the previous athletic director, Norwood Teague, was a, a nightmare. Uh, mm-hmm. It was, you know, I think they, they eventually found an okay choice um I, like we said i like richard patino i think he did an okay <clears throat> job here i think he was probably he maybe i don't even know if he would say it but he was awfully young and inexperienced yes. when he got a big 10 job um so that was not their first choice wasn't even probably their third or fourth choice they kind of kept going down the line how much different will a mark coil uh run search or i guess targeted search uh, be for uh, a new coach if indeed that's what happens here well i'll say <clears throat> In Coyle's high-profile hirings, P.J. Fleck, Lindsey Whalen, Bob Motzko, he's got the number one person on his list every time. Is he going to be able to do that this time? I don't know. Um, I think 
you know, money's going to play a factor this with this search because of the buyout pandemic. Um, you know, uh, are you gonna be able to get in a bidding war for uh, a coach this time? Probably not. But if, if, it, if I'm running this search, my absolute first call is to John Beeline and I make him tell me no, probably will tell you no, but it, until you call him, I think he absolutely has to be your first phone call. Um, you know, Eric Musselman is, would probably be my second call. Um, what he's, you know, his connection to the state and the program, obviously he's had success at multiple places, what he's doing in Arkansas right now. Um, they're a top 15 team. Uh, he would be expensive. You'd probably have to pay 3.5 million. Arkansas would fight to keep him. I don't know how realistic that is. He, I, I don't know what his buyout, but I'm sure it's significant. Um, and so, but, but I do think, Mike, I do think this job will be attractive as, even though I said it's not top half of Big Ten, it is a Big Ten job that's going to pay two point, you know, two million, two point two million. <clears throat> so if you're a mid-major coach, the Porter Moser at uh, Loyola Chicago, Dennis Gates at Cleveland State, uh, Brian Dutcher, Craig Smith at Utah State, a local uh, Minnesota connection, Nico Medved, a Minnesota guy at Colorado State. This is a step up. You know, this right. would be you're you're you would be having a job in the premier uh, college basketball conference this year. So. Um, I think they, I think Coyle, who is um, pretty connected, um, he doesn't use search firms typically. He, he likes to, he knows what he wants and who he wants to go after. And so I don't know if he'll get his number one choice, but I think you should be able to hire someone who is a sitting head coach somewhere at a mid major who's had success and you feel like this is not a huge step up for them that they're going to be okay, we need five years for him to kind of grow in a job. I don't think they're going to be in that situation this time. Who's your first call in that regard then? If, if you know, if, if Beeline is your kind of, you know, is, the, is your dream hire, but he might have his pick of whatever he wants to do. Yeah. If, you know, Musselman is either too expensive or would be <clears throat> harder to extract of that, of that more gettable tier, who's your first call? I think the first two that I, I would put right there are Porter Moser and Dennis Gates. Now, Porter Moser is... Um, at Loyal Chicago, took him to the Final Four uh, three years ago, like miracle run. Um, they're back in the tournament again this year. And then Dennis Gates is interesting. I mean, I've been doing research on him. Uh, Cleveland State, longtime assistant for Leonard Hamilton at Florida State, highly regarded, gets the Cleveland State job two years ago. Basically, when he comes there because of the previous coach, like 90% of the roster left. <laughs> he had no players, basically. And in two years, they're, they're in the NCAA tournament this year. They won the uh, Horizon League during the NCAA tournament. So uh, he is a, a, a blackhead coach. Um, so we know the track record with, with uh, Minnesota and their lack of diversity in the department. Uh, the one thing with Dennis is, uh, in doing research, his wife has a high-level position at Boston College in their athletic department, I think. And I believe Boston College has a coach opening. Ah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Do the math there maybe. Okay. Yeah. So it, it might, you know, and I, I think that he is going to be a hot name now um, because of the, I mean, what he's done at Cleveland state to get them in just no time at all into the NCAA tournament. Um, I think those two, but then the, the other three, uh, Craig Smith, uh, Nico Medved and, and, and Dutcher, I think are uh, three with local ties who are sitting head coaches. Um, I, I think they would uh, deserve consideration too. 
Interesting that Dutcher wasn't higher up on on that list. I could like, there's been an assumption, I think, because of that local connection, because of yeah how he structured his buyout at that school, that maybe he is more of a front runner. Is that not how you see it? Well, he you know he could be for Marcola. He's 62, right? Yeah. Uh, and he is. I, I wonder with Dutcher, and, and he obviously structured his buyout to go from five million to one million because he would want this job. He's got a pretty good setup in San Diego. Um, he's been there for a long time. Um, you know, maybe he would view this as a chance to finish his career, his coaching career here. Um, and I don't think he would be a bad choice, but I, I think if I'm looking at somebody, quite frankly, a little bit younger, um, you might connect with uh, recruits in a, you know, uh, different way. Um, I, I think I might give that a shot, but I also think if they hired Dutcher with his love of this program and history and, and knows this state. Um, I, I also think that he, you know, he would be obviously a, a hire that um, I think could, could win here. Last thing for you, Chip, great stuff today as we kind of continue to monitor this, uh, this story too. Um, you know, as you think about, you know, going forward next steps. And when you talked about how this isn't necessarily a, a, a top half job in, in the big 10, then how do you, you know, outside of recruiting and kind of selling, you know, the new facilities and stuff like how, how do you build that program that if, if you haven't had that level of success, like where, where do you then, you know, where do you even start? Is it just kind of, you know, stacking years on top of each other? Yeah. Is it, is it, is it possible, I guess, to, to do what, what everybody wants to do with this program, yeah. which is to, to kind of build it into that Wisconsin type, we're going to go to the tournament every year and we're going to have a chance to go far in the tournament every year. It starts as everything starts in college sports, starts with recruiting. You have to upgrade your talent and you can't have as many misses um, as they have had here uh, the last few years. And they've had successes, Daniel Oruturu, Amir Coffey, they're playing in the NBA. So it's not like they, it's been hundred percent misses, but recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. And if you do that and you, ha- and you start to win, then all of a sudden this becomes a more attractive option for recruits and it just sustains itself. Then the next year, and then the next year you, you, you get into the NCAA tournament and recruits here see you is like, Hey, I have a chance to go play in the NCAA tournament and stay home and play in front of my parents and play in the top conference. And I don't need to go, you know, outside the borders, uh, you're not going to get every recruit that you want. I mean, there's going to be, you're going to have losses. I mean, it's just, nobody gets everybody um, <clears throat> that you want. And so, but I, th- if you can start to make more inroads with recruiting and you have more to sell now with the athletes village and um, you know, a, a new coaches staff, I think that's where it starts. It, it when I, you know, Covering college sports, to me, everything always comes back to recruiting. All right, man. Good stuff. We'll be following this story. Uh, I'm sure it's not going to end anytime soon. Even if they make a decision on Patino, uh, we got the we will have a whole a yeah. whole search to unfold after that. So follow Chip's work on Star Tribune, StarTribune.com, and we'll, we'll talk to you down the road again, Chip. Thanks, man. Good stuff from Chip Scoggins, as always. He knows the Gophers so well. Um, really plugged in on that uh, on that scene, so... Hope you guys enjoyed that uh, that discussion with Chip, and we'll obviously be monitoring this story uh, for, for the days to come as we go forward. Let's end things with the cooler. Sounds like Governor Walls is going to give some guidance Friday about outdoor gatherings. Now, we think that might involve capacity at Target Field, at least for the initial part of this season. So pay attention to that on Friday. See what's 
See what he's going to say. If you remember from the show from a couple weeks ago, I had Rochelle Olsen on saying the Twins are hoping to have 10,000 fans at the opener um, at Target Field and then gradually build from there. We'll see if that's the number that the governor at the We'll see if that's the number the governor and the state of Minnesota have in mind or if they start a little lower and and work their way up from there. But nevertheless, it sounds like things are trending in the positive direction and uh, and that you should probably anticipate being able to see a Twins game at Target Field at the start of the year and more of you to be able to see that as the year goes on. That'll do it for today. Thank you for joining me on Daily Delivery today and all week. Got some good stuff coming up next week. I can already tell you, I think Lindsey Whalen is going to be on one of the shows next week. We'll do some bracket stuff, hopefully with Marcus Fuller, as we talk about, you know, filling out your uh, filling out your bracket and doing that as best as you can. We've got Vikings, new league year, free agency starts. I'm sure there'll be plenty of that talk as well. Download, subscribe, read Star Tribune, StarTribune.com. I'm Michael Rand. We will catch you again on Monday.